Today we are continuing our series entitled Family Life. We've been looking at what the Bible has to say about family and family relationships and God's plan for the family. Today the Lord has laid on my heart a message from Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn there. It's a message on breaking generational curses. Now that's not, um, you're going to hear when I, we're going to get into this, this is not what is often referred to because there's a lot of strange teaching out there concerning generation, generational curses. But the title of today is, today's message is Breaking the Curse. I believe that there are many, many families that live generation after generation after generation dealing with some enduring sin that haunts families and destroys life. And I also believe that it's not necessary for those families to live under the bondage of the curse of sin generation after generation. And when I speak of generational curses, I'm not talking about, you know, some curse that has been placed on you by somebody or a curse that's been placed on you by the devil. That is, that is nowhere found in the Bible. But I'm talking about the effects of sin. I'm talking about how one generation's sin affects the next generation. Each generation has to answer for their own sins. And we understand that. That's, in fact, in, in, in Ezekiel, God says, no longer will I set the children's teeth on edge for this father's sin. And so uh, each generation has to answer for their own sins. But here's the reality. If I don't deal with my sin, then what I am doing is I am training up the next generation to walk in those same sins. There's no reason for that to happen because there's power in the blood of Jesus. There's, there's power that can break every curse. But it's important that we understand it. So Exodus chapter 20 Verses 1 through 5. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents and the, to the third and fourth generation. I want you to listen to this because that... the the, the the next part of the verse is part that is almost never quoted because it does not just say to the third and fourth generation. What does it say? It says to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So he's talking here about, about a, a, a generation after a generation who is rejecting God. And if you leave that last part out, you're misquoting the Bible and you're going to miss one of the great points of the passage to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So let's pray together. And then we'll get into what the Lord has laid in my heart today. Fa Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here with us today. I thank you that the Holy Spirit is already moving among us. I humble myself before you today, God. I admit my weakness. There's nothing I can say that's going to amount to a hill of beans. That, but, but God, I know that if you will speak to us today, then our hearts can change. So I pray, God, that you would fill my mouth with your words. I pray that you would soften hearts by your spirit. Speak to us today deep in our innermost being, past the level of emotions and past the level of intellect. Speak to us deep in our spirits. Have your way in our lives, God. In, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. On February 4th, 1807, the Parliament, uh, Parliament of England reached a moment, momentous decision that was to change its national history and its moral posture in the world. On that date, England forbade the trafficking of human beings and ended forever the British slave trade. This was due almost entirely to the unflagging, unfailing, ceaseless, 
tireless, prayerful, humble, contrite energy, energetic work of one man named William Wilberforce. It's a great movie called Amazing Grace about his story and about this process. And when everyone told William Wilberforce that he stood against all the assembled economic powers of the United Kingdom, Wilberforce looked at them and said, what are they before God and before morality? And he brought down the evil slave trade and forced parliament to its knees before God. And I believe that one, that, that one great decision on February 4th, 1807 was a landmark decision that changed the future of England for more than 100 years. And it caused God to be able to smile on the English people and on her empire for more than 100 years. And I believe that the same decision unmade or maybe wrongly made by the United States of America brought a curse upon us in the next hundred years. If in 1807 or 1810 or 1830 or 40 or, or 41 or at any point, if the United States had humbled itself before God and repented of a heinous national horror, a sin unequaled in the annals of our entire uh, nation, and, and, and if we had forbade trafficking human, trafficking in human beings, I believe if we had done that and repented of our abomination that we need never have fought the war that cost more lives of Americans than any other war in history. No other war in American history cost the horrible toll in, in, in uh, uh, property, in families, in hatred, in bitterness, in resentment, in bloodshed, and in lives that the Civil War cost. And I believe that we brought upon our heads the curse of God. I use those two examples of contrast to point out that there are moments, there are pinpoints of human and personal history, nationally and individually, when our choices bring either the blessing of God or the curse. There are curses that are being passed down generation after generation in American life and culture that are haunting us right now from wrong decisions that we have made. I believe that the decision not to outlaw slavery not only cost us the Civil War and cost us the wrath of God, but it has continued to cost us over the years and our, our unwillingness to repent, not only of slavery itself, but of the subsequent racism which followed, our, our unwillingness to change not only the law, but also to change our hearts before God continues to cause us to suffer under the course that is the residual of that decision. Now, now let me give you another example, if that's just too, uh, too racially charged for you to but try this one, one of these. What about the problems of abortion, immorality, and, and the nice, decent, working alcoholic? And I'm not talking about the drunk in the gutter. I'm talking about the nice, decent man who goes to work every Monday morning and by Sunday morning, he has never been completely sober the whole week. But he's able to hold his life together, and he's able to hold his family together, but his life and his family still live under the curse of alcohol. What about the drug addict who doesn't come from some ghetto somewhere in the inner city, but he's from one of the best families in, in, the, in white middle-class suburban America, and yet this young boy continues to destroy his home and his family and steal from his parents because he's a because he's a weekend drug addict. What about the scourge of sexual immorality and perversion that is racing across the nation? Where do all these things come from? Go back a generation. Go back a generation for its source. They spring from the cold-blooded, cold-eyed post-war materialism that engulfed our nation. They spring from the godless pleasure-seeking of the nation that enthroned rebellion 
in the 50s and 60s. You know, they, they, that made their, the, the do your own thing, the national anthem that told teenagers, don't get too serious, too young. Don't worry about little things like growing up and prayer and holiness and seeking the face of God that, that passed teenagers onto the waters of self-seeking, self-centeredness and self-indulgence. And now teenagers from the 50s and 60s and 70s, now in their 60s, 70s and 80s, living in rebellion and self-indulgence, immorality, perversion and wickedness, all because of the curse which we infused in the very heart of our own nation. We, we dropped it like an injection into our blood supply. What, what about the rising crime rate? Listen to this. You can draw a bar, bar graph of the crime rate in the United States from the year 1900 to the year 2023. And it will, uh, in the early part of the graph, it will go up gradually, uh, uh, gradually over the years. And then all of a sudden, you will see a sudden spike. And if you put, put a dot and mark that place where that, that spot in time, you'll find that it corresponds with a, with a point at which we as a nation made two major decisions. When the decision was made that there would be no prayer in, school, in public schools, the crime rate rose almost overnight. Why? Well, because if you lower the value of prayer in the corporate system of America, you're saying to the people and you're saying to God that you're claiming to be a godless, godless nation. We don't need God. We don't want God. We want to leave him out. And if you are a godless nation, then there's no ultimate authority. And if there is no ultimate authority, then why should I have respect for any authority? And if I don't res have respect for any authority, then why should I respect your law? And if I have no respect for the law, then why should I have respect for your life or your property? A godless nation is a cursed nation. The second major, major decision that still haunts us today was Roe versus Wade. Now I know that recently the Supreme Court made a decision that, that nullified that. However, we have decades where the curse has been sown uh, of Roe versus Wade. When the Supreme Court made abortion on demand legal, the crime rate rose almost overnight. When, when Roe v. Wade was, was passed. What did we say in that moment as a nation? The value of life went down. We said life is not what matters. Convenience and, and easy life and, 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 and uh, that's what matters to us. And so you, you say, what, what can possibly be the connection between Roe v. Wade and an increasing murder rate? Now listen to me. This does not take a mental giant to figure this out. If it is legal for a woman to murder her unborn child, then why in the world do I have to believe that it's some kind of great heinous crime for me to murder your born child? Why? Because the value, life was not valued, and we've taught our children that life doesn't matter. And the murder rate always goes up in a society where the value of human life goes down, because in that society, murder just doesn't seem like much of a sin. Out of our national pride, out of our competitive anger to prove that we were poor no more, out of our post-depression and post-World War II materialism uh, has, uh, has arisen a society that is drenching its sorrows in alcohol and drugs. We numb ourselves. And, and we're unable, not only that, we're unable to support the burdensome weight of our, of our own welfare system, we're unable to stem the tide of abortion, and we are watching with horrified eyes as our children turn to sexual perversion by the thousands. These generational curses are ours because we bought and paid for them. I believe that there's a reality to a generational curse. 
that, that a curse in, in the sense of, of the effects of sin being passed down through, through from one generation to the next generation. But, I, but I, now, as I said, I believe that this has been taught in a, the charismatic and Pentecostal community, often in such a shallow and superficial way that it often does more harm than good when you consider the matter. Uh, you know, I mean, every time somebody has some problem, some nitwit <laughs> tries to figure out that it's because that generations ago, their great, 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 great grandmother participated in a seance in Poland. You know, my goodness gracious, this is just this is just silliness. But there are some very real and serious and sober realities here, realities here some deep realities. And when you release into the lifeblood of a nation the horror of these curses, which arise from disobeying God's law and rebellion toward God's authority, then terrible things will happen in a nation. Terrible things will happen in, in our culture, in our society. Terrible things will happen in the government. And terrible things will happen in families. So listen, let me just say this. Don't let anybody lay some guilt trip on you that because you have a child that was born deaf or, or some other thing that it's because of some curse on your family. Or, or, or that you have, if you have some difficulty or problem in your life, that there's some kind of curse on your family. We're going to come to it later. I want you to know, I'm going to say this now and we'll come back around to it. If you are under the blood of Jesus Christ, there can be no curse on your life. I want you to understand that right off the bat. So if you are a Christian, you are not living under a curse. I want you to understand that. We're going to come around to that. But there are such things as gener generational curses. But listen to me. You can't identify them. Those generational curses will always spring from some kind of disobedience from God's word. That's what we just read in Exodus chapter 20, third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The, the, the results of iniquity and sin in a life will continue in generation after generation after generation, God says, of all those that hate me. God is not an unjust God. Our God is not a wicked God who feeds the parents sour grapes and then sets the children's teeth on age. Our God visits punishment on, on those who have sinned. I don't pay the, the penalty for my father's or grandfather's or great-grandfather's sin. We need to understand that that's not the case. And so anybody that tells you that you're, that, that, that you're cursed because of that, that, that's not what we're talking about here. But when anyone steps out from underneath the authority of God and begins to live his or her life in rebellion toward the law of God, then that person releases the curse of sin in his own life. But that's not the end of it. He also releases the curse of sin in the lives of other, others. And, and many times in those about whom he cares deeply, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, even, even unborn generations to come, he releases the curse of God, not because it's the will of God, God never wills that anyone perish, but because he has released rebellion and the related curses into the lifeblood of his family. And, 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 and basically, I'm going to say this again. What I'm saying is you don't sin in a vacuum. Your sin affects your family. Your sin can affect future generations if you don't deal with it. That's the key. In a sense, every one of us is both a victim and a partaker of the curse that haunts humanity. As soon as Adam rebelled against God, the curse was released into the lifeblood of humanity. And we, and we know that the wages of sin is death and that we all have sinned. And so that curse, it was set loose in humanity. But on the, on the other hand, even though we are, we are victims in that sense, it becomes much more personal as we actively participate in this rebellion. 
When we choose to sin, when we choose to rebel, when we choose, then we are taking place in that situation and taking part in that in a different way. When I actually take my own life in my own hands and I rebel against God's authority, I break God's law, I break the Ten Commandments, I live in rebellion against God, and then I release into my life and into subsequent generations the curse that comes with that. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Look at the example of David. In 2 Samuel, we're not going to read the whole story, but you can read it. You know the story. In 2 Samuel, David committed conspiracy, murder, and adultery. He impregnated the wife of one of his soldiers and then lied before his nation. He conspired to have Uriah the Hittite murdered, who was not just one of his soldiers. He was one of David's mighty men, one of his closest companions. And he thought he had gotten away with it all. But his sin was brought to light and denounced before the people. And then God made this announcement. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 12, 10. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So as long as there was a descendant of David in the household, God says there's going to be violence. Because of your sin, it's going to affect future generations. And we know that David's son, Absalom, murdered Amnon. David's son, Amnon, raped his half-sister. Generation after generation after generation, the Davidic dynasty was haunted with plotting and treachery and, and murder and violence and all kinds of perversion and wickedness and evil. And many of the descendants of David upon the throne of Israel and Judah were among the wickedest people that had ever been on the face of the earth. The curse that was released into that household was released through the sin of David. It was part of the natural consequences of David's own sin. As I said, no man sins in a vacuum. Your sins affect the people around you. Everything about my life touches somebody else. Generations that are yet to come, unborn children that are still in the bodies of my daughters will be touched by the curses that I unleash, unleash in their lives. But here's the good news. They don't have to live with that and they don't have to grow up with that. I can move my life and my family's life now into a place where those curses can be broken. You know, and, and it's by the choices that I make as a parent. There was a pastor I know of <clears throat> that went out one Saturday afternoon to shoot some hoops and he was alone, and it was the middle of the day, so he, he knew there really wouldn't be anybody out there. And, and, and he was out there shooting hoops, and a neighborhood man came out with his two tiny little sons, and they were, they were just shooting hoops and talking about the background a little bit. And finally, the pastor asked the man what he did for a living, and he told him. Then the, the man asked the pastor, what, what do you do? And the pastor told him, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen that church. And the pastor said, well, where do you, where do you all go to church? And the man just kind of, you know, hemmed and hawed a little bit until a little, little boy standing there. How many of you know that when you don't want to talk, your children will talk? Especially when they're little, they'll say things that you, you're not, you don't want them to say. And so the little boy standing there by him finally just said, we don't go. We've never gone. And the guy standing there going, shh, shh, shh. You know, don't, he didn't want the pastor to know that. And he, he's trying to shush up his little boys, you know, when the boy says, we've never been to church. And the pastor says, well, you know, you, 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 you ought to bring them. Come to church. 
we just love to have you. And these little boys just start saying, Dad, we want to go to church. And the father was completely stunned. He was taken aback. He looked at his boys and he said, Boys, I'm completely amazed. It never dawned on me that you'd want to go to church. And the pastor said, Yeah, bring them to church. We have children's church. We have puppets. And the boys like, Yay, puppets. We love puppets. We want to go to church. And the pastor said, We're going to have the best time. We have a great kids ministry. The music is awesome. It's going to be exciting and wonderful. And the boys are saying, Daddy, we we want to go to church. Daddy, we want to go to church. We want to go to church tomorrow. And the daddy said, well, no, we, we can't go to church tomorrow. I have to work tomorrow. And they said, Daddy, you never work on Sunday. <laughs> and, and we laugh about that, but I, I read that story and I laugh too, but I began to think about it and about this message to, to, today. And You know, nobody has a foolproof plan for child raising. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I remember in our lives, um, our, our daughters came much later in life than most people for us. And, and uh, Aaron came along and she was one of those laid back, just didn't care, loved to sleep. She would go to her mom sometimes and say, Mama, can I take a nap? You know, that's just not normal for kids. And, and, and she still likes to sleep, by the way. Um, although she is awake right now, I'm happy to say that. But, uh, but you know, we were looking, doing this and, you know, we'd go out to eat at a restaurant when, when we had, when she was really little, you know, those, those car seats that, that you strap them in and then you, you take them in and out of the car and we go to a restaurant and we'd be sitting there having dinner with somebody or something. And, and we'd look up and she's sitting there eyes wide open. We had no idea how long she'd been awake because she would just sit there quietly. And I remember my wife and I thinking, man, this parenting thing is easy. What is it with these people? I'm going to write a book. And then, and then uh, Gail was born. And, and she is precious, but she was completely different. And here's what I learned. Everything that worked with Aaron, none of it worked with, with Gail. They were completely different. And so I ripped up my manuscript because I realized this, this is just a, a pile of trash here. But we all have this foolproof plan for child raising. Trust me. Uh, I mean, we think we do, but trust me, we don't. Nobody has that. But let me also say this. I also don't want to come to the end of my life and look at this the, the disastrous curses that are unleashed on subsequent generations that follow me and know that I caused it because I got my life off of the sure foundation of God and onto the swamp of my own self-image and my own ego and my own pride and my own pleasure seeking and my own materialism. I want to make sure I don't want to be like that dad that says, that says, well, we have never taken my kids to church. Well, I've never given them a spiritual foundation. I want to make sure that I'm living my life in a way that I'm, that I, that, 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 that they have that sure foundation. And I don't want to think there's ever going to be a child so cursed in a generation or in two generations or three generations or even four generations after I'm long gone and dead and buried and nobody can even remember my name. I, I don't want to think that there's a child that's going to live with self-hatred and depression and alcoholism and perversion because those things were in my life and I never dealt with them. We, we unleash, unleash huge, dark spiritual forces in our families when we live outside the authority and the plan of God. We have 
no idea what happens. We don't even understand the forces of it. There are evil forces at work, deep spiritual forces, mighty powers of malevolence. There are demons that are existing in the world. And I want you to know they hate us. I don't even, it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or not. If you're a human, they hate you. They hate the children of Adam. They hate our families. They hate our children. They hate our grandchildren. And they're looking for some little place, some little crack, some little opening in a doorway or, or some way to get in. Charles Spurgeon said, if there's a crack anywhere in the lantern, the wind will find it and blow out the candle. God forbid. I mean, what a great man David was. David was a man after the heart of God. We know that. But the crack in the lantern that he gave Satan was adultery and violence and murder. That one open door, that one window of evil, and whoosh, in came the power of satanic evil and the curse rested upon his house forever. God forbid. These things, I want you to know, are not for you. And they are not for your household. God doesn't want your, your household to live under a curse. God doesn't want your family to live under curses of laziness, drunkenness, greed, lust, anger, sexual perversion, or violence. God doesn't want these things in our lives. God doesn't want families to live under the bondage and curse. You know, I believe there are families in a different vein. There are families that are cursed financially. They're cursed because, they, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. They do everything they know, they know to do, and it's to no avail. Have you ever watched families that get right to the verge of financial prosperity or financial success or freedom or, or even just being able to hold their own financially in the world and, and they get right on the verge of it generation after generation after generation and then something will happen. I've seen it over and over and over again. And I believe that there are actually families that are abiding inside of them, uh, have abiding inside of them a financial curse. Where can such a thing come from? Malachi 3.9. You're cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God said, you are cursed with a curse for robbing me. And the people, in response, if you look it up, they said, how are we robbing you? And God says, you're robbing me by stealing the tithe that belongs to me. The, the power of financial responsibility in their life was broken because there was a curse interjected in the blood. I'm here to tell you that is not for you. God does not want that in your life. God does, doesn't want your family to live under violence and anger and financial distress. These things are not for you. God has a better plan. Now listen to this. God's got a wonderful answer for any person, for any family. God has made a wonderful and powerful provision for breaking every curse of sin. If you have a dark background in your life, a dark background in your family, sometime in the past your grandfather was an alcoholic or your parents were involved in adultery, there was some wickedness and sin of some, of some kind somewhere back in the background and, and maybe you feel like that curse is just flowing through your veins. You feel that the curse of alcoholism has been passed down to your generation. Listen to this. I want you to know my mother's father, my grandfather, was an alcoholic. And she had brothers that became alcoholics. And I believe 
that there's a curse of, uh, of alcoholism that, that runs through my family, but God made provision for that curse of alcoholism to be broken. And I believe that the, that the one, that the single most important things impacting my life today that allows me to live free of that curse is not something that even happened in my generation. It's not even something that happened in my lifetime. But it was the day that my mom knelt at an altar of a little country church and surrendered her life to Jesus. I believe that in that moment that the curse of alcohol in my family was snapped that day and I received a different heritage. I received the heritage of a child of God. Instead of the curse of sin being passed on to me, the blessing of God has been passed on to me. I believe that. Let, let me just ask you this question. Has God made provision for the curse in your life and, he, and, and to, be, to be broken? The answer is yes. He has. Galatians 3.10 tells us, now listen, God tells us that God has taken the curse which was to fall on us and has placed it on Jesus. It says in Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Okay, that's a big problem right there because they say, listen, if you're depending on your own righteousness and how good you can be and living a good life and living under the law, he says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you're living by the law, if you're trying to be a good person, you say, that's what I'm going to do. The problem is you cannot keep every law. You have broken the law of God sometime in your life. Isn't that right? Anybody here? Have you anybody here who has not broken a law of God in your life? Raise your hand. I'm glad you didn't raise your hand because then I'd have to call you out for lying, you know, because then you'd broke another one then. But that's every one of us. Everybody has broken God's law. Nobody's perfect. We are all cursed by our own actions. But then we got to pay attention to what he says in verse 13 of Galatians 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Every curse was met in the crucified form of Jesus Christ on Nazareth, uh, of Nazareth. Every curse was broken through Jesus's death. Every curse. It furthermore says that we can appropriate this wonderful blessing of curse-free living, curse-free generations, curse-free praise, curse-free joy, curse-free families. We can enjoy this blessing by faith in this same Jesus Christ who is hanged on a tree that he might be cursed for us. He was cursed that we might be blessed. He became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. God has made a wonderful, marvelous, majestic provision for our sin and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. There is no curse that needs, needs to touch your life. The name and blood of Jesus Christ on the threshold of your life and the doorpost of your family breaks every curse if you live in that house and dwell in it by the power of the Holy Spirit, by faith in the name and the blood of Jesus. He took our curse that we might receive his blessing. He took our sin that we might receive his righteousness. He took our cross that we might receive his heaven. And listen, I want you to understand this very clearly. Some people out there will tell you, oh, you've got to do something else. After you're saved, you've got to do something else to break the curse from your past. And I want you to understand, it is the cross of Christ 
plus nothing. It's the cross of Christ alone. It's Jesus alone who breaks the curse. I had a friend, a beautiful man with a beautiful family, loves the Lord with his whole heart, but I remember having conversations with him because he'd gotten into this thing uh, with some teaching that said that you had to go back and find things and you had to denounce this in your life before you could be free and you had to denounce that before you could be free. And I told, I tried to explain to him, listen, if you say it's the cross of Christ plus denouncing this, then that's not the gospel anymore because you have come to the cross and you have denounced all your sin already. It's the power of the cross that sets you free. It's Jesus's blood that sets you free. You don't have to do anything after that to find freedom from anything. Now, I'm not saying that you don't work toward holiness. There's a process of growing in holiness. There's a process of finding, finding freedom from past sins and habits that you've had. But I'm here to tell you, you no longer live under a curse if you are under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the thing I want you to hear if you don't hear anything else today. There is no curse for those who are under the blood of Christ. Now, so he did all of these things so that, so that we might receive these other things. When? When? If by faith, now. I want you to hear, you do not have to wait for some moment, for some special event, for, for this great blessing of God to come into effect in your life. You don't have to wait for something else to happen. You don't have to come to understand something. You don't have to live up to something. You don't have to denounce something. You don't have to stay on the wagon for 10 years to, before it happens. In fact, you don't have to do anything. If you try to add anything to the cross, then you're perverting the gospel and you don't understand his grace. It is not by works that we are saved. It, 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 it's not by works that the curse is broken. It's by faith. And if Jesus Christ has met this curse in his own blood, own body, and on the third day raised from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of God from the fa uh, God the Father from whence he lives and makes intercession for us, then this very hour, this very hour, if there is one man, one woman who will say to the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, wash me in your blood. Break the curse of sin in my life. End the curse of sin in me. Stop it in, in my family, in me today, God. That very moment, his sins are forgiven and the power of that curse is broken. Now, there's going to be a process of holiness. There's going to be a process of healing, those sort of things. But I'm here to tell you, that moment, the curse is broken. Listen to this. Generation after generation after generation of curse and sin and degradation and iniquity and bondage and hurt and woundedness, maybe 20 or 30 generations back in your forefathers. Does, does God just like sort of add all that up and give you just that much grace? No. Glory to God, I have some great news for you. Romans 5.20 says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Abundantly. Grace increased all the more so that the, the, the background of sin and wretchedness and bondage and curses that pile up, maybe all the way back to the Mayflower, God takes all of that. He washes it in the blood of Jesus. He measures it out in full measure and he gives you more grace than there was ever sin. Man, that's just good stuff. That's good news. Where sin is abounded, let grace abound much more. Much more. Now you may say, there's a curse in my family. My dad's an alcoholic. 
There's a curse of divorce. There's a curse of anger. There's a curse of sexual perversion. Listen, most of the time those things are, are sins that are passed down from one generation to another that the children have learned from their parents. And that, that's what we're talking about. You say, all this garbage is in my family. Listen to me. As I said, that curse can end right this moment in your life. You can break the bondage of that curse in your generation. If your dad won't lead, if your mom won't lead, then you lead. Step right into the blood of Jesus Christ and ask him to wash you in the blood and receive his name by faith and say, Oh Lord, take my life. Take my life and break the curse in me. Now, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to do that again. But you can go to him and what do we, what, let me just say this. What are we supposed to do if we're already a Christian and we sin? 1 John 1, 9 was written to Christians. He said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I, if I sin, which I will, everybody, anybody here sin, sin recently? Anybody sin this last week? Let me see your hand. Some of you, anybody sin on the way to church today? No, no, don't, no don't even tell me that. You don't have to tell me that. Several hands went up. I need to give an altar call right now. Uh, but, uh, but listen, I, I don't have to go back, you know, and, and get saved all over again. But I do need to confess that to him. I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't need to try to hide it. Because first of all, that's silly. The God who sees all and knows all, what am I going to hide from him? It's like Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? Remember this in scripture. Anytime God asks a question, it's not because he needs the answer. He already knows. He knew where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to confess where he was. He wanted Adam to say, hey, look, this is, we're hiding and here's why. He wanted Adam to realize what was going on in his life. And so, listen, we, 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 we confess our sins, but that doesn't mean we get saved all over again. So don't misunderstand me there. Uh, because of salvation, while you can walk away from your salvation, it is a process. It takes a period of time. I believe with all my heart, it takes a period of time where you work your way out of that, where you continually reject God, continually reject God, continually reject God. And then you become like Samson, where the Bible says that after multiple times of them trying to discover his strength, they finally, he finally tells the truth. They cut his hair. And the Bible says that he rose and shook himself as before when the Philistines were coming and he was going to take him on. He was going to beat him just like he ever had before but the bible says but he did not know that the spirit of god had left him that's that's what happens over a long period of time where we keep rejecting god and ignoring his voice and sinning against even our own conscience so that's not what i'm talking about today i'm talking about somebody if there's anybody here and say pastor i have never i've never made jesus the lord of my life i've never confessed my sin i've never dealt with these issues Today can be your day. There are some people that are singles that are afraid to fall in love. They're afraid to get married, afraid to have children because they're afraid that the things that they saw in their parents and in their grandparents will be furthered in your life and in your children's life. But, but God has good news for you. The blood of Jesus will break every curse. Every curse. You don't have to live as they live. That's the good news. The curse cannot come where the blood of Jesus is on the doorpost and the lentils. You know the, the reference there. 
the Passover, the day of Passover in Egypt, when the blood was on the doorposts and the lentils of the, of the home, then the curse of death passed over. They didn't face the curse. They didn't experience the curse because they had appropriated the blood. But you have to place it on your life intentionally. You have to do it by faith. You have to do it humbly. You, you, you have to walk right into the throne room of God and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the blood of Jesus, break the curse of sin and judgment in my life. God, come into my life. Come into my family. Rule as king. Wash me within the blood of Jesus. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and begin to reverse the curse in my life and in the life of my family. And there may be people here today or people on the live stream that you need to do that. I want to close with this story. There, in 1943, there were, there were two men. One was a leader among his people. He was nationally and really internationally known. He was a man of tremendous power. He was considered by many to be a god. His name was Hirohito. And he was the emperor of Japan. Through the advice and counsel of his warlords, he launched a campaign for Pacific domination, if not worldwide domination. He was known worldwide. He had power and fame. Many in his country even considered him to be divine. But his life issued forth in a curse that was to be the death of millions. In contrast, in a lowly, lost, and long-forgotten Japanese prison camp, in the Canton province of China, there was a Scottish missionary by the name of Eric Liddell. You may know him from the movie Chariots of Fire. He had won the gold medal in the 400 meter race in the 1924 Olympics in Paris and he laid his gold medal at the feet of Jesus and walked off into a Chinese mission. And in 1943, he was arrested by the Japanese army and thrown into prison. The other prisoners wrote of him after his death. They wrote, he was the most godlike man I've ever known. He would give his bread to starving prisoners. He ministered to the sick. He cared for the children. When, the, when he saw that the children in the prison camp were neglected and hurting and dying, he, he formed them into soccer teams and taught them how to play soccer with handmade balls. He was loved and adored. And when he died in that prison, in that prison camp, the guards, the commandant, and the other prisoners all mourned his passing. Eric Liddell left behind for generations of those who, to follow a blessing of holiness and peace. Here's the thing. In the same way that the way I live my life can pass on a curse of sin, in the same way, God's blessing can rest upon my children because they've learned the ways of God from me. I believe right now that the future of subsequent generation hangs on the fragile thread of our hearts, of our decisions, of our lives. What you decide in this moment may well determine the course of blessing or curse for children to be born for generations in America. So I say choose. I feel like Joshua standing before the people of Israel saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
Choose. But know this. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. But woe to them who reject the Lordship of God. So choose. Choose. But before God, in front of the generations to follow, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Would you bow your head? Father, as we come into your presence, I have no idea where anyone is in their relationship with you. I don't know if anybody is living under a curse because they refuse to bring sin under the, under the blood of Christ, if they've refused to walk in obedience, if they're walking in rebellion. I, I don't know because I can be fooled. A person can come into a church, can say all the right things, can look right, can, can raise their hands to the right part of the service, can even say amen during the message and still be far from God. So God, I, I don't know because I can't look on the hearts of people. But Lord, even though man looks on the outward part, you look on the inward. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here in this place or anybody on the live stream that says, I've never, I've never brought the curse of sin in my life under the blood of Christ, and today I want to change that. I pray, God, that this would be the turning point, not only for them, but for their children, for their children's children, and for generations to come. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, I don't know. And maybe everybody here is in a great place in the relationship with the Lord. I don't know. But I would do a dis disservice if I neglected to give you an opportunity today. If there's anybody here who would say, Pastor Dave, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I have not, I have not uh, uh, asked for forgiveness. I have not placed my life under His control, under His authority, under His Lordship. My sin has not been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I have, I'm walking under a curse of sin because I've never made that, that decision. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, I'd like for you to just slip your hand up right where you are just so I can see. I want to make sure that if you have that, if you need to, I want you to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're on the live stream and you can, you can just put in the, in, the, in the comments, say, pray for me. Is there anybody? Well, here's my next question. How many of you would say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I want to live my life in such a way that my life leads my children into the blessing of God, that they would see Jesus in me in such a powerful way that they would choose that. If that's you, slip your hand up. Boy, there are parents all over the room. I, I know that's kind of a broad altar call, isn't it? but we have to think about it before we can choose it. I want to pray for you. Father, you saw every hand raised. And Lord, my hand is up too. I want my life, not just at church, but in private, in, in my home, in the car, in personal conversations with my children, with my wife. I want my life, Lord God, to reflect you in such a way that, that my children will want what I have, that they'll want the relationship that I have, and God, that you will lead them into righteousness because of the way I live my life. Use me as a tool in that way. Help me to train my children. Help me to bring them up. And Lord, even when they're older, I pray, God, that, that I will still live in such a way that they'll say, what my dad, what my mom has is real, and that's what I want. Lord, every person in this room is praying that same prayer. 
God, let my life be lived under your anointing, under your power, under your guidance in such a way that it leads my children and their children and their children's children into a place where they serve you. And Lord, I pray that now as we get ready to leave this place, that you would just let your hand rest upon us. Let us walk in your grace. Let us walk in your favor. Let the world see something different in us because of the way we love. And Lord, that they would be, they would have a curiosity rise up within them that says, what do you have that's different? And we'd be able to tell them about Jesus. Let the world see you in us. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.